Hey everybody, Doug here. Before we get started with the show, I want to tell you about a new book that Peter and I have published called From the Earth to the Moon, the miniseries Companion. If you love space and space exploration and movies and television shows about space and space exploration, this is for you. If you think you've read it all and know everything there is to know about the moon flights, we want you to think again. Uh, in 1998, the landmark TV series, From the Earth to the Moon, aired on HBO in 12 episodes, told the daring story of NASA's Project Apollo to put humans on the moon. Our book provides a comprehensive and detailed analysis of each episode of the miniseries and covers Apollo from start to finish and then some. It's more than a simple episode guide. Our companion reevaluates the entire Apollo program, both within and outside the context of the HBO series. We review the choices that the filmmakers made regarding the actors, special effects, and historical accuracy in every episode. We show what they got right, what they got wrong, and what they didn't tell you about each of the historic moon flights. Um, we cover all manned Apollo missions, the creation of the lunar module, the Apollo 1 fire and its aftermath, the personal and professional highs and lows of the astronauts, and lots of key NASA personnel. As an added bonus, the book includes an in-depth interview that I did with Andrew Chaikin, author of A Man on the Moon, the book that was the basis for the entire miniseries. It also includes 35 great images, many of which I can guarantee you've never seen before. Um, you can buy the book on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or any of the book reader platforms. Uh, again, uh, we hope you check it out, and uh, on to the show. Thanks. All right, uh, lift off and the clock is started. Yes, sir, reading you loud and clear. You got speed, John Glenn. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Right Stuff Companion. We are up to episode five. Uh, I remain Doug, and as always, my co host is Peter. Welcome, Peter. Welcome, Doug. Uh, we are at number five, the Konakai Seance. Uh, this was uh, directed by uh, Rob, sorry, Rob Bailey, and it was written by Mark Lafferty, and it aired on October thirtieth of twenty twenty. Uh, we are uh, we're just past the halfway point of the first season, um, and I I definitely feel like the show is picking up steam and momentum. You know, it almost makes you wonder like, would they be better to film? later episodes first you know what uh, i'm saying and then go back and make the first one yeah when making a series go back and do the first one later so that they're they kind of are understand the characters a little bit better i don't know it just suddenly occurred to me that maybe that's something a show could do I you think, know like do I you bet, have to i bet do they do a lot to, of times i don't know i mean sometimes yes yeah, sometimes no but i mean like it's just sort of it's just sort of interesting that but you could sort of air a, an episode first when they're more in character. Where it certainly didn't feel like the actors had it down early on. Let's put it that way. Yeah, but it was more than just them. It was the way they they wrote the episode and um, oh, the I pacing, know. the editing, everything about it was yeah, definitely I know. I slow. But again, when you but maybe it also has to do with how it's edited and they get the pace of the thing. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. so many shows have these growing pains. I don't know. Just a thought. Again, it's not just the actors, but it's the writing and the the lighting and the camera and the editing. I don't know. It just seems like maybe maybe do that order. You know, the audience might not notice a little bit of wonkiness a little later on if they've seen some more hooked stuff. Right. Exactly. Whereas, yeah. like again, you and I in every episode we lament how you know how 
not great the first episode of the show was. You know, Star Trek aired The Man Trap as the first episode, but it wasn't the first episode filmed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just a thought. Well, the you know, the, the writer of this episode, Mark Lafferty, is the showrunner for this series. And he yeah, wrote, he co-wrote the first one. This together much, much he, better than a lot of them. Yeah, he wrote the first one, though. I mean, he had a co-writer, but... Probably means he did the rewrite, truth be told. He did, or, or the other guy did. Yeah. Just a thought. There's no way to know. They might have known they had trouble with the first episode and they hired somebody else. Well, I'm sure that the actors and the writers, they know if, if they're, you know, the director, I'm sure when they watch it, they know if it's good or bad. You know what I mean? Like whenever yeah. you read a, a TV, whenever you read a book or an article about a TV show that looks back on retrospectively, the actors and the crew, they always know like what was our good one, what was our bad one. Okay. Right. So what are the well, themes themes for this episode? It's sort um, of settled on the, it's it's based on the, what's the, the sort of the dramatic um, tool this episode is the, what the order the first few launches is going to be. Right, and sleeping around, like the dangers to the program. Uh, of Coming to roost. Around. Yeah, <laughs> coming to roost. Like and, you know, um, this is, I think I have to say, and I'm not, I'm not going to say this a ton of times, but I'm going to say it uh, today is, you know, they get some of this right in a way that the movie didn't do as well like this is i think and there's a couple of instances of this coming up too where i think kind of for the first time we're saying this like they're they're surpassing the movie on some levels and for example the way that the konakai seance is done here and we'll get to it it seemed much more believable to me than the way it was done in the movie like you could imagine it went down a little bit more like this again obviously we weren't there but this is a more sort of like three-dimensional portrayal of the people in the events I don't remember uh, the scene in the movie. What was the scene this, in the movie? The like? scene in the movie is they are um, they're wearing their flight suits, and uh, you know, and Glenn says, "Got to keep our you know pants up and our wicks dry." <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, the movie. I don't think it's that hard in some ways to to um, beat the movie, um, and, and especially in certain things because the movie is so. It's so slick, like it's slick at all costs, almost. You know what I mean? Like it has a certain sheen to it that uh, a certain it's breezy. It's, it's breezy. breezy, and it's it's sort of there's a lot of breezy machismo in the movie, and and this thing is is definitely more um, sort of chick flicky, typical dramatic series. <laughs> you know, it's it's more typical dramatic series of the day currently, which means that they'll roll out tensions um much more uh in a much more salient way yeah and i think you kind of see the people in a little more of a a, a comprehensive way and like for example you know uh, i mean we've talked at length in our from the earth to the moon podcast about you know what a difficult person al shepherd was and none of that really comes through in the right stuff the movie whereas no. here like especially i'm jumping a little bit but especially in episode six and seven you really get a sense that boy al shepherd must have been hell on wheels to work with you okay. know and again like it's it's easy to sort of portray him in a heroic way but it's 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 a little more daring to portray him as kind of a, a dick you know and, and an asshole and he's also sort of wounded. I mean, they they make they take some pains, like in the last episode, the scene with his father at dinner, 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and right. they're, they're trying to context. Right. Maybe you don't I mean, become an asshole overnight. Yeah. I mean, he certainly, he had his reasons for sure. I mean, his father was uh, really rough. My God. I mean, that this like stereotypical horrendous, um, um, father. Yeah. A friend of mine has a sort of a funny, but I always thought insightful thought on this. Like he always thought that, you know, like, uh, the phrase like, yeah, I know he seems like a jerk, but when you get to know him, he's a really good guy. You know, he would be like, no, that's a jerk. You shouldn't have to know somebody for them not to be a jerk to you. You know, like, <laughs> I thought, oh, that's a really, that's a really good, insightful take on things. But right. kind of made me think of Al Shepard. Oh, yeah. Um, but this this episode, I think, kind of does the Konakai seance uh, better, more thoughtful. And the other thing that's, I don't know, I, I have sort of mixed feelings about because now, you know, something else that this episode does that is a complete absence from the book and movie of the right stuff is Jerry Cobb, right? And right. the female astronaut sort of wannabes. Um, you know, and the 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 female sort of astronaut wannabe candidates, I think they were called the flats. Was it like Mercury 13 or something? There. Yeah, they were also, I think, referred to as the flats. Um, but, you know, like there have been several books about them. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been a lot written about them. But, you know, like the Astronaut Wives Club has some stuff in them. Um, there's a, a documentary on Netflix about them. Um, if you watch um, on Apple TV, they have this sort of goofball show called For All Mankind, which is sort of a Ron Moore alternate history take on right. NASA. If the Russians had won the space race and land on the moon, that, uh, you know, makes Jerry Cobb. She's a major, you know, starring character in that show. Yeah. Um, that show I, think Amy, probably... I think even Amy Shira Title, uh, her book, I think, uh, I think deals, she has a book called Fighting for Space, that I think deals heavily with the flats. But, you know, like this is all added in here. None of that is in Tom Wolfe's book or Phil Kaufman's movie. So it's interesting that they're going in that direction as well. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, if you're going to look at um, feminist history or mad men, 20th century history, right. um, That it, it certainly plays a role. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of a, one of the landmark things it's in the, uh, when women came back from the war, went back into the household mm-hmm. um, once World War II ended, and they probably yeah, World War II is still a recent memory for these people, right? And so they, you know, they they sort of maybe saw that it was a test as to whether the country was ready, maybe for them to reemerge as as very active um, partners in sort of uh, professional pursuits, right? But clearly, the country was not. Uh, I guess in some ways they were, and in some ways they weren't. Let's put it that way. Well, didn't John Glenn like say something about? Didn't he make some speech, like or not a speech? He made a comment, I think, at a congressional hearing or something, didn't he? Yeah, some of, several of them did that were not too uh, not too encouraging. But here, let, let's jump into the meat of the show. We can sort of cover it in context. Yep. So we begin with the Astros gathering with uh, Gilruth and Lunny and Kraft and their sort of talk that they are about to announce the flight order for the first three manned uh, Mercury flights. Yeah, they're framing um, the kind of, you know, they do the 
framing the episode thing again where they show that opening scene right although by the way you know it's worth just a 30 second digression after i just said let's get back on track and i'm gonna <laughs> digress course. again but you know it's interesting it is still in 2020 the correct and accepted term is manned space flight and other terms like crude right or human space flight have largely fallen out of favor and even for example wikipedia uh, which embraces sort of every sort of modern turn of phrase. Even Wikipedia calls it man space flight. But anyway, um, and then uh, after we had this brief scene of the astronauts with Gilruth, Gilruth Lunny, and Kraft, we then flash back to 72 hours before, right? As we're sort of leading up to it. And again, this is a time of intense stress for the astronauts because they know that, you know, the selections are going to come soon, right? right. Uh, we have a brief scene of Cooper uh, with Wainwright. Wainwright's got an interesting role in this show. He's always sort of he's sort of there so that the astronauts can bitch, um, mm -hmm. and and Cooper is sort of chafing with all this media tension. Uh, he's just you know he's not John Glenn like he's not used to it and he doesn't like it. And again, he's deeply worried that his secret will come out. Um, and then uh, we we then we see Jerry Cobb, right? Jerry Cobb uh, basically approaches Trudy Cooper, who's at an airport, um, and basically says that she 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 expresses to Trudy her plan, right, to sort of take the astronaut physicals and try to, you know, make NASA recognize that women pilots could be considered for astronaut flights, and she wants um, Trudy to get Gordo to help her get into space. And she says, look, I passed all the tests at Lovelace, as did 13 other women's, and she wants to start a female astronaut corps, and she wants Trudy to be one of them with her. Right, and she's obviously looking for any help she can get from the astronauts themselves, the Mercury 7. Yeah, although I don't think that in real life, Trudy... Cooper was one of the Mercury 13. She was not. Right. Um, I wonder so if again, she actually I, was approached like this. Yeah, and it's hard to know. And I did a little bit of reading about this, and it's a little hard to know exactly. Like, there's not a ton written about Trudy Cooper online, to be totally honest. Like, for example, I think if you go to Wikipedia and you type in Trudy Cooper, I think it takes you to, uh, to, to Gordo Cooper's page. That's not very feminist, is it? <laughs> Here, let me just double check it. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm just, I, that's what I when I looked at it the other day. Um, I I didn't find a page for her. So again, I imagine maybe there's some. No, oh, there's some. There's some. Uh, yeah, yeah. Trudy Olson, her real name, Trudy Olson, does not even have a Wikipedia page. So I don't know. There may be a fair bit of uh, fictionalizing here. Right. Um, um, but it's interesting, you know, I mean, I, I mean, we didn't fly a, a woman in space until Sally ride, you know, like the, the Russians, you know, they put up Tereshkova, right. As essentially a stunt, right. I mean, Tereshkova, you know, she flew an early, uh, Russian mission where, you know, like most of the early Russian missions, she didn't really do much. You know, she just sort of was a passenger. It was a good stunt, though. It was a very good stunt, and it brought them to a ton of attention, you know, worldwide. Um, 
you know, she flew in Vostok six. Um, but uh, yeah, that was it was really early, nineteen sixty three. Yeah, I mean, it was super early. So with her single flight, she she logged more flight time than the combined times of all the Americans who had flown before. But she was pretty much a passenger. Still you know, low. she and you know, just like all the other Vostok astronauts, including Gagarin, like she ejected uh, before touchdown, which is interesting. So she came down by by parachute. Um, but you know, like again, sixty three versus nineteen eighty. When did Sally Ride fly? Eighty three, eighty four, something like that. Something Long like time. that. Um, yeah, so it shows you, you know, like like times change, times change. Uh, we then uh, cut to the Konakai Hotel, um, where they're at, they're at some sort of like social event with the press that the Astros hate these sort of things. They're, um, they're meeting uh, with the uh, suppliers, you know. They're meeting, yeah, yeah, vendors and and right. uh, contractors, right? Um, and and Shepard is up in his room dealing with his Meniere's disease, uh, and then when we uh, we come down, Wally informs them that a friend of his, a pilot, Ricky Carsrud, has died in a plane crash, uh, and it's implied that they all kn- at least knew this guy or knew of him. Like the men all visibly react, right. Ricky Carsred, by the way, is a fictional person who does not exist. Um, and then uh, Wally, like sort of Wally, who is the most upset at the time because this was this fictional Ricky Carsred was a buddy of his, gets literally and physically pulled into a, some sort of PR nonsense. And he's he's really gritting his teeth. Uh, like it's just the absolute wrong time for have to put on his party face. Um, I mean, we know Wally's a, a difficult guy in real life, <laughs> so you can imagine right. how difficult Wally is when his buddy augurs in. Um, and then Shepard uh, kind of bails him out and is able to pull him. And then he, the men, just sort of leave. They leave this event and they go out onto the beach and they grab a bottle and some glasses uh, to just sort of you know, have a toast to their fallen comrade. And then Glenn says, initially, I'll stay behind and I'll do the PR because somebody's got to do it. But even Glenn comes out. He can't, even Glenn kind of, he needs to be with the men. Yeah, they're all a little bit sick of the dog and pony show. Yeah, and you know, you could imagine the dog and pony show is a lot of fun for a week, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like adulation and attention and favorable coverage in the media. And whoring and liquor. <laughs> which is what they spend most of their time doing. Right. Put those in like bold and italics. Right. Um, uh, but uh, I thought, you know, this is honestly the best scene of the, the episode, in my opinion. Uh, as much as I enjoyed the seance scene. But this is like, it's a rare moment where the men are together as one and even for example glenn is there and and gus uh, and gordo kind of work out their differences so they sort of they they sort of like spontaneously come up with this i don't know i guess you could call it a game or a ritual where they each go around the horn and they tell a story of when they were scared flying or when they thought that you know it was their time or they were going to die right again they're all thinking about this Ricky Carsrud who died right um and and Gus says the time that I was most scared is that time when 
Gordo messed up and almost killed us. Right, but he says and, it in a little more gentle way than he did before when he. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, well the, considering the last time, like they ended up like f- like you know fighting and punching each other in the pool. Yes. Um, and Gordo, to his credit, he actually apologizes to Gus in front of the other men, and Gus makes it very very clear that Gordo is forgiven. Right. Which is an interesting moment. Like it's sort of like a beyond this point, they're no longer at war with each other. Yeah, it's a um, good man bonding scene. Yeah, no, it is a good man. And the guy who plays Gus, you know, he has about four episodes per word. Sorry, per, four four words per episode. You know, two of them are. Eh. If you know, yeah, average doubts. He has zero in some episodes. <laughs> right, but you know, this is a good uh, a good showing for Gus in this episode. You kind of understand them a little bit. Yeah, um, and then even Glenn tells a story. He tells a story of when um, his wingman. Uh, you know, goes down, and he's sort of circling his down wingman. You know, you know, thinking he's going to die, and he's next, and he's going to run out of gas. And he, you know, uh, you know, apple pie, you know, God and country, God guns and country. John Glenn says that, you know, when the chips were down, he didn't feel close to God at all. He just felt like an animal. You know, yes. like just fighting to stay alive. Right. The guy who plays Glenn, I think, in a weird sort of way, is the star of the show. Yeah, he is. You know, even though, like, Shepard seems to get much more screen time. And Cooper, uh, too. Yeah, but, in I don't know, like, for me, at least, like, Glenn is the most... The guy who plays Glenn is the most interesting of the characters in the sense that, like, he's got the most sort of depth to the way that he portrays Glenn. And, you know, Glenn doesn't come off particularly well in the show. He certainly came off a lot better in the hands of Ed Harris in the movie. He's sure. played by Patrick Adams here. But, like, the way Patrick Adams does him, like, there's just, there's, like, you could sort of understand Glenn's internal conflicts. And Annie is portrayed, like, and his relationship with Annie is also really well done here. Like I tell you, if you listen to this podcast, like my tone on the show is definitely changing. Yeah, and I guess he was one of the guys on Suits. I did. I never watched Suits, but I guess he was. Uh, he was the lead on Suits. Yeah, I haven't I watched know. it either. But he's. I think I'm pretty sure I've seen him somewhere. Yeah, he's been in a million TV shows and a handful of movies. But I just I know that he was like the star of Suits. But uh, again, he's uh, he's he's solid in this. And again, for me at least, Glenn and to a lesser extent Shepard are really the two stars of the show, right? Uh, but it's a, you know it's a good moment because the, it lets the other men see that like you know maybe just maybe. And again, this this uh, perception of Glenn will last about four minutes, but just maybe Glenn's a little more like them than they thought. Right. You know, like this is this is the most unified the men have been to date and it's not going to last. Right. As they say, the center does not hold. Yeah. Um, and then interesting Al, Al, uh, he talks a little bit about his dad and he doesn't. But he, when they say to him, like, well, tell us about a time you were scared. He, Al can't do it. You know, like Al can't show weakness. Yes. You know, he just he just can't. But maybe like his many years is too close to the surface. He's got a dark secret that, you know, none of the men know. Yeah, 
No, Alice. I know he's still struggling, but it's further yeah. than he gets normally. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, again, it's it's easy to sort of like say, "Oh, Al was a difficult guy," but I mean, we all know difficult people in our life. I mean, man, it is it is unpleasant. Um, and then uh, sort of the moment passes, and Glenn and Gordo decide to go back in. Um, and uh, you know, Glenn kind of continues in this vein of honesty, and he just says to Gordo directly, like, I'm different than you guys. Like, you know, Glenn acknowledges, like, I'm the odd man out in this group of seven. Um, and and Glenn voices that he recognizes that his star is falling in NASA, right? The this the Wiesner stunt at the New Year's Eve party has hurt his stock, you know, and he um he feels like he's maybe on the on the downslope. Yeah. Um it's good. It's good. It's well done. You know what I'm saying? Like this this might be the best written episode we've seen so far. You know, it's good, especially when you take the scene where there's bonding and there seems to be progress and the 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 seven becoming closer, the astronauts. Right. And then and you, you know shatter it. <laughs> right, right. See, that to me is what the combination of those two things, as we'll see in a in a minute when we get to that next scene, um, is what makes the episode good. Right. You know, those yeah. two scenes are are really good. And you know, it also shows like you don't need, and we've said this before some of our other podcasts, like it's the writing, it's the writing, it's the writing. It's not the CGI, right? Like yeah, the best the scene, the best scene is these guys sitting out around a fire talking. You know, right. like that scene conveys so much more than, you know, like Aztec hole plating on the CG Mercury Atlas. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like that's what people will remember when this show is done. Not, not, not a rocket taking off. Right. Um, and then Gordo kind of, kind of uh, leads uh, John to think that he's, he's going off with a cookie uh, when they're talking at the bar and, and Glenn starts to roll his eyes. And then we actually find out and he tells Glenn that he's actually going off to have a little meeting with Trudy. Um, like they are reconciling and then they, you know, they tell each other in the hotel that they love each other. And it looks like for a brief moment, this is the episode of brief good moments, I guess. <laughs> for a brief good moment, Gordo and Trudy truly appear to reconcile. Right. Um, and then we kind of get to the, 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 the key dramatic moment in terms of when the plot moves forward as Glenn is in his room and gets a knock on the door from none other than... Shepherd Al, yeah, right. And Al is really in trouble, right? And Al's exact words are: he says, "I did something stupid." Um, and he went down to Tijuana and he got drunk and he slept with some girl. By the way, it doesn't sound like a bad weekend, to be totally honest. But, um, uh, but unfortunately, when he was walking out of his uh, hotel or motel, um, he got photographed. Uh, by a reporter from the San Diego Herald, and he realizes that he has put himself in the program in the worst possible position. Sure. It's interesting that he comes to Glenn. Yeah. I am, by the way, I don't know if this really happened. I bet it didn't. But... I, I don't know. Like I did a fair bit of looking on this, and again, I'm just... I couldn't find anything to to verify... 
this specific incident. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, it's an it's it's because if it happened, like if it really happened, it's a super interesting story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I don't know. Did it really happen? Here, I'm looking again real quick. I mean, I looked a bunch of times for this. But again, I don't, I'm not sure that this really happened. Again, I, can't, I couldn't find anything about it. So anyway, I'll just, we'll just move on. But, you know, if it's, if it's pure fiction, it's really, really well done. And it's kind of like the, it kind of continues with maybe, you know, maybe, Shepard saw Glenn at the at the beach party outside and realized like maybe 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 there's a there's a colleague for me here maybe that's what prompts him to reach out to Glenn you know mm. there's a I I think uh, there's a great bit where Glenn says to Al he says it means a lot that you came to me yeah you know like it shows that like maybe maybe Glenn Starr hasn't fallen so much. Maybe he's held in a little higher regard than he thought, perhaps. I don't know. That was a really, yeah. really good, good interaction. You know, like you, you see for the first time, like Al shows a little vulnerability besides, I guess it's the second time because he showed it a little bit to Dio Hara, the nurse. Right. You know, I guess, well, I, I take that back. He also did tell Louise in that scene where there, he called her and said he didn't think it was going so well for him. So there's a little bit, but this might be the most vulnerable we've seen Al Shepard. And then what does he do? He works the phones, right? A sort of a la, you're a la Ron Howard's, uh, what's the movie about the newspaper with Ron Howard that you the like? Paper. The paper, right? He's sort of like... He's trying to get the reporters and the publisher on the phone in the middle of the night as they're literally going to press. Yeah, it's it's the eleventh hour, right? And and he ends up getting the publisher on the phone. He ends up getting the publisher on the phone, and he wakes the guy up literally, uh, and he makes a sort of impassioned John Glenn esque speech that kind of falls on deaf ears. At first, you yeah, know, at first, but the guy, the guy is a little put off. He's a little cold and he sort of acknowledges that Glenn is a good bullshitter. You know, like that's quite a speech, Mr. Glenn. He says something like that. Yeah, but then he sort of starts to win him over. Well, he wins him over by shifting gears like like Glenn flat out says, I'm begging you. Like, that's what kind of does it. Like Glenn has to put down the, the apple pie flag waving artifice. Right. You know, and he just flat out begs the guy, like, please, please, you're you're hurting the country if you do this. Please don't hurt the country. You right. know, like, and he says that, you know, like reporters write the first draft of history, but like, let's think about the second draft down the road. Yes. Yeah. He, um, he He's quite eloquent about it. Yeah. Yeah. They're both actually, they're both pretty eloquent about it. You know, yeah. like you get the sense that this is like a sort of seasoned, salty, old newspaper publisher and he's seen everything you know right and his opinions on what should be news and how things should be covered and printed are long established right you know and, and glenn has to pierce that and sort of just just this one time make him make him think a little bit different and then we we cut the next morning to i think it's it's wainwright again who's who's sitting at the pool reading the, the morning paper and glenn runs out and he like very very quickly thumbs through the paper and there's nothing there. Right. And then doesn't he hand the paper to Al? 
Yes. He hands the paper to Al, but he doesn't say anything. He lets him like he can't right? be panicky, but he doesn't even say like <laughs> you're all right. Like while right. he's walking away, it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny. Yeah, I bailed your your sorry ass out. Yeah, <laughs> I wish somebody bailed my sorry ass out once in a while. I could definitely use <laughs> that. <sighs> um, it's a good bit, you know, and then. This is this is literally where all the goodness and the camaraderie and the reconciliation ends. <laughs> like, right. It was at this moment, yes. as they say on the internet, it was at this moment that he knew he fucked up. <laughs> yes. Um, Gordo and Trudy are seen in bed in sort of post-coital bliss. And then she brings up uh jerry cobb and she sort of pitches you know she's kind of being played a little bit by jerry cobb here trudy yes you know like it's very self-serving of, of jerry cobb as portrayed here um and she sort of you know she she tells gordo jerry's pitch um and let's just say it, it he doesn't love the idea you know uh he he's he kind of feels ambushed, I think, by her. Yeah. You know, like they just had sex. <laughs> you know? Right. And then she makes her move. <laughs> well, it's classic. Um, and then he is sort of like he kind of sort of is supportive of things at the end of the conversation, but you could see like he it's it doesn't go so smooth. Um, and then uh, uh, I think it's uh, it's Wally sort of runs around and grabs the guys because because Glenn wants to call a meeting. And this is the infamous Konakai seance. And I think the term seance predated this meeting among the Mercury astronauts as a, as a time when they just wanted to meet with nobody else present so they could basically work something out and have portray a unified front. And this is the legendary Konakai seance where Glenn basically kind of does a lot of finger pointing at the guys. Right. Um, he says, I'm a square and I understand, but I still understand the allure of the female form. Um, yeah. And uh, he basically says like, like we, we had a very, very close call and somebody did something really bad. And like the whole house of cards almost came down. He doesn't name Shepard. Right. Um, but Shepard names himself and Shepard flat out just says it was him and he tells the whole story to the men. Um, and uh, Glenn says that the story is canned. And don't screw things up. Don't put everything at risk. Um, but it, it's kind of like you could literally like hear the sound of the glass breaking as the bond between Shepard and Glenn shatters. If forever now. Forever. Right. You know, he says, I came to you and, and I needed help. And now look what you're doing. You know, like if you had just said nothing, we would have been fine. But you ruined it. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting and sort of complex moment. You wonder you wonder how Shepard and Glenn interacted in years to come. You know, like when they saw each other 10, 15, 20 years after all this, like, did they move on? You know, and they, did they just put on their party faces or did they ever reconcile? You know, I read, I read Light This Candle, which is Shepard's biography. And I read Glenn's book, uh, which is called John Glenn. <laughs> and I don't, I don't recall 
I don't recall a lot of detail about their later relationship. Although in all fairness, Glenn's book is terrible. Um, I think really? I read all of, it's awful. It's literally, it is bar none, the worst astronaut biography ever written autobiography. And it's because Glenn is so afraid of telling an off color story or painting anybody in a negative light. Like the book is so like sort of ivory snow, clean cut. Like it's boring. Like I don't know how a guy who was a fighter pilot in MIG alley in Korea flew in Mercury, flew on the space shuttle, had a huge political career, could write such a boring book. Right. It's terrible. It's literally terrible. Whereas Light This Candle, which is not written by Shepard, is really, really well done. But again, it's the difference between a biography and an autobiography. Light This Candle is a very unvarnished portrayal of Al Shepard. Hmm. Uh, what do you think of the, the seance scene? I thought it was well done. I think um, the, the thing they did properly is they they showed they there's a little uncertainty about how self-serving Glenn is because they do show him making the effort to reverse, to get it the, you know, keep the shepherd's incident private, right? Because first he calls around on his own um, to the newspaper and he gets nowhere. And then he calls shorty, the press guy at NASA, right. which, and, and he doesn't, he doesn't specifically say, hey, Shepard, you know, I'm bailing out Shepard. He just says, like, something happened that I need any contact you have at the San Diego newspaper. And he gets, he, that's how he gets to the publisher and then is able to talk to the publisher. So, so when you, when Glenn then tells them, keep your pants up, and then Shepard reacts, basically says, you're, you, I can't believe you told NASA you're not one of the boys. You're just trying to get yourself uh, first in line for a flight. You, you think, you know, that it doesn't actually seem like he did that. Like, yes, Glenn is like that to an extent, but this time it seemed like his intentions actually were not self-serving and were to keep the program going. Um. And yeah, and so so they do a great job with that, and so you can see it from both angles. Uh, you can see it from the why the other astronauts are angry, and you can also see how Glenn maybe gets the short end of the stick this time. Well, and Glenn, you know, he points out in the meeting, like like you know, sh like to back up for a second, you know, like Shepard says, "I don't care how I'm remembered," which turns out to be a lie, but he says that, of course. But he says to Glenn, you're just looking out for yourself. And then Glenn points out to sort of like respond. He said, I helped Cooper too. Remember, Cooper had that problem with Lurleen. Yeah. And he points out to Cooper that, look, look, when you were in trouble, I did it for you too. And then I think in his singular error, Glenn flat out says he thinks he's better. He thinks he's a better person than the other men. And that that's kind of like it's all it's all unretrievable at that point you know Shepard then says to glenn that okay you'll be first but we've all lost faith in you and even gordo has kind of it's kind of implied that gordo is his good friend here although in real life he was very good friends with carpenter glenn they don't really touch on that much here but at least in the show 
he seems to be closer to Gordo like with their runs and stuff. But even Gordo, like when the meeting's over, like Gordo just sort of shakes his head at him and walks out. Like he, he went too far, John. Right. Yeah, nobody uh, believes that he actually did it. Um, and yeah, you know, right? He's not a saint, John Glenn. Right. Um, he's happy to help out the other guy in trouble, especially if it makes him look like right. a good person. You know. Uh, it reminds me of that scene. There's that. There's that. Uh, Mandy. I'm totally gonna botch this, but there's a Mandy Moore movie about like religious kids, and there's a scene where she says like. You know, like she's like, I am holier than you are, or something like to another kid at right. like, the, the religious camp. Like, you know, like I am much more a better Christian than you are. Like, and like the very act of saying that like proves that she's not. Right. Um, I totally bungled that reference, but I'll figure it out. So <laughs> then we cut back. We cut back to um, the meeting, and Gilruth, uh, who they all think is going to make the call, uh, he says that they are going to do something that is very common in the military. They are going to use uh, a time-honored tradition called a peer vote, where you basically have to say, if you can vote for yourself, who would you want to go? Like, who would you vote for? You can't vote right. for yourself. And then Glenn realizes, like, oh, my God, every last thing I've done will now completely work against me. Right. And it's also, it is fair. I mean, it's surprising um, that they're going to do things that way. I mean, you don't see that coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, Glenn is totally sunk. You know, like this yeah. comes on the heels of the seance, right? right. Where he's just said, I, I think I'm better than you. And I'm not like you, you know, you whoring, you know, Right. Skirt chasers, you know, I'm better than you. And then right after this, they're called in to vote. And, you know, you could imagine he probably got, you know, one vote from from probably from Scott Carpenter. Like the actual contents of the votes are a little bit unclear, but I, I have heard that Carpenter said that he voted for Glenn. Right. Um, I, I did. Uh, I did while we were talking. I did find out that apparently here's a little bit of truth about the uh, the the shepherd and the Tijuana story. So apparently, Shorty Powers called Glenn one night at the Konakai Hotel after the paper called Shorty, saying we need a reaction from you about uh, one of your astronauts got caught with a girl. And then Shorty appealed to Glenn. Here's this is interesting how maybe it turned out a little bit differently in real life. Apparently, Shorty then appeals to Glenn to call the editor. And then um, the story got scrubbed. And then Glenn never publicly said which one of the astronauts it was who mm -hmm. got caught uh, with a woman. Although um, people close to Glenn said that in private, Glenn said it was Shepard. Hmm. So there you go. I mean, if that's the case, then he did. He played both sides of the fence. Yeah. Um, um, and then here's another another little bit I just found while we were looking. So uh, here, are the, here are the reported results of the peer vote. Uh, Glenn and Carpenter voted for each other. Wally voted uh, for Shepard and Cooper, interestingly, voted for Grissom. Hmm. And then the other votes are not known. 
And then Gilruth apparently uh, sort of took everything into consideration before writing out the list. Hmm. And then the episode ends um, with uh, we see the men's names on the board. Like Gilruth comes in and in his sort of like block writing style, he writes down Shepard, Grissom, Glenn. And uh, uh, he then burns the votes, and the three men, uh, all the, the other four astronauts walk out, and then the three men shake hands, and the episode ends with Shepard staring at his name first on the blackboard. Right, he's vindicated, essentially. The, you know, this is really the tone they should have struck in the first episode. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this is such a good episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's extremely well written. And, you know, the tension is built and resolved. You understand the viewpoints. Um, it's it's well done. Um, and, you know, the Konakai seance really happened, but apparently there were other times where Glenn publicly said to the other astronauts, or I guess privately said to the other astronauts, like, stop it, stop it, stop it. But I guess the Konakai seance is sort of the, the most famous one. I think it's also the one that Tom Wolf got wind of, and that's why it's included in the Right Stuff book. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the guy who plays Gilruth is really good. Patrick Fischler. He doesn't really look a lot like Bob Gilruth, but he really does a good job. Like, yeah. he, he's interesting to watch and he's got sort of like, you get a sense in this episode and, and especially some of the episodes that are coming up, like the intense pressure he's under, like, you know, we see like when Chris Kraft is under pressure, he's just like a volcano. Whereas like, like Gilruth is like a tightly wound spring, you know? Right. That's <laughs> uh, good. It's good. I'm, I'm telling you, like, uh, this is the show is really not what I expected at all. I don't know how you feel about it, but it's really not what I thought we'd be getting at all. Yeah. I, I know, but it, it really, this was a good episode. It's, it's high sort of drama. It's not fun. You know, like I've said before, like the right stuff, the Phil Kaufman movie, it is fun to watch, you know? And sometimes when I watch this show, like I sort of hear like, you know, the Phil Conti score in my head, but like this show is it, it's, it's, it's sort of tense and taut. It's not fun, but it is, it's definitely gotten way more interesting as we go. Yeah. Um, I think that the next two episodes are really among the best of the series. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see as we cover episodes uh, uh, six and seven, but the next two, like, boy, are they, you know, like they've gone from sort of like fumbling to getting their legs under them. And now like they're starting to hit their stride and like the next two episodes, they're really running. Like they're really running full tilt and the show is moving. By the way, peer votes. Could you imagine if peer votes happened more commonly in life? I don't, right. know, I, I don't know if I could take it. That's stressful. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty damn stressful. I uh, Yeah, I'd probably never get anything in life. <laughs> well, that's, I think that's the whole point of the peer vote is the peer vote takes all of you, like you, me, everybody. It takes you out of that that choice position like that's the whole point of the peer vote is you have to take yourself out of the running for the very very thing you want like that is that is intense right <sighs> alright should we wrap there yep see you next time alright thanks Peter we'll be back uh, next time uh, stay with us it's really really accelerating now like I said the next two episodes really you don't want to miss it uh, thanks everybody <laughs>